This is Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Bloomberg Quick Takes Tim Stenovic from Bloomberg Radio. I want to get right to our next guest, former head of the FDIC, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. She was there during the 08 financial crisis. Today, she's chair of the board of the government-controlled mortgage giant Fannie Mae. Sheila Baer is with us, joining us on the phone in the D.C. area, along with Bloomberg News Wall Street reporter Shanali Basak. She's here in our New York studio. Sheila, great to have you here with Shanali and myself. Um, we've got so much we'd like to talk to you about. I want to start, though, with cryptocurrencies. We've had another week of power headlines about Bitcoin, which hit another record, and just the whole crypto world. Uh, Elon Musk, Tesla embracing it, Jack Dorsey and Square talking about it. Is Bitcoin on its way to becoming more stream, uh, more mainstream in your view? Right. Uh, well, first, let me say uh, I'm expressing my individual views. I'm not speaking for any, any companies I'm affiliated with. And uh, you know, I, I think. Uh, look, I don't. I don't give a financial advice. I can tell you my, my personal uh, philosophy on this is is that you know stay away from it. It's it's volatile. Uh, it's at nosebleed levels now. Uh, we don't know how sustainable that is. Uh, you know, if if you're a very wealthy person with some some money to risk, uh, fine. But no, I don't have a lot of confidence in it. I mean, the problem with Bitcoin is it is so volatile, right? So its original promise as a as a method of payment, really, its volatility gets in the way of its usefulness as a method of payment. I mean, there's some if you're if you're buying a very expensive car, maybe you know, I guess that's the idea with Tesla. Mm. But uh, I'm skeptical. I, I've always been more interested in the technology uh, that underpins uh, Bitcoin as opposed to the, the Bitcoin itself. Right. Uh, I think blockchain distributed ledger technology has a whole host of use cases that can make our financial system much more inclusive, much more efficient, um, well, less costly. Uh, and so that's that's where I think people should be focusing in terms of finding real value. Let's talk about that for a Bitcoin. second, more okay. specifically. I, I was very surprised to hear you say that about Bitcoin because I have heard you talk about how digital currency could have done more during this pandemic to get money to people who needed it. How far right. away do you think our financial system is from that actual that sort of thing actually happening? Right. So I was speaking. So there are lots of different cryptocurrencies. Uh, Bitcoin is, is the granddaddy of them all. Uh, it's a lot of hype around it, a lot of nostalgia, a lot of romance around it. But when I spoke of, I was talking about stable coins. There are a cryptocurrency that is that is tied to the dollar. Disclosure: I'm on the board of a company that that offers a stable coin that that is like that. It's a dollar for dollar collateralized. You give a, a dollar to the company, it goes into an FDIC insured bank account or a short term treasury. You're issued a dollar of, of, of cryptocurrency representing that. That maintains stable value because it's fully collateralized and tethered to the fiat currency, the U.S. dollar. So it's those. And there are other companies that offer these. There, there's a possibility the Fed through a central bank digital currency, could digitize a dollar as well. But that's what I was talking about, not using Bitcoin, but using a, a crypto version of the dollar so, that's tethered to the dollar so it maintains stable value. That's interesting because there's a ton of people out there who invest in Bitcoin that don't believe in the dollar, that don't believe right. in the current financial system as we have it. What would you say to those people? Well, I would say I believe in the dollar a lot more than I believe in Bitcoin in terms of holding value. <laughs> Uh, you know, look, I, I, people who know me know I've, I've been a critic of the highly aggressive monetary policies we have uh, we have pursued since the great financial crisis. Uh, it's not manifested itself in inflation. It's, we've got an asset inflation. It's got some very un, other unpleasant 
side effects in terms of the the buildup of leverage, uh, inflated financial asset values. So I, I you know I, I I'm not in love with the with the, the monetary the highly accommodative monetary policies we have pursued. But even given that, uh, yeah, no, I would I would have a lot more confidence in the dollar than I would in Bitcoin. Again, it's speculative, it's volatile. Uh, understand it. Uh, don't you know buy it unless you can you know withstand significant losses because well, it goes up, but it goes down too. What about other countries? Right, we know China is racing right. to do a digital currency. If the U.S. doesn't catch up, what's at risk for us here? Well, that that's a good point. And again, the China's uh, central bank currency is tied to the RMB. It's tied to their own fiat currency. So they're they're not they're not using Bitcoin to do this. They're using a, a, a cryptographic version of their own uh, their the RMB. So uh, yeah, and I think uh, most observers uh, think that part of the well, there's some privacy issues around the China's use of, of uh, cryptocurrency because you can. So the good news and the bad news, you can really you've got a you know a, a, a very clean trail of transactions. So there, there's privacy issues around that. That may be good if for law enforcement purposes. It may be bad right. for privacy. But but also, um, I, yeah, I, I think a lot of observers think China wants to become the reserve currency, eventually the world's reserve currency. Right. And if you have, if you have, if you have digitized your own uh, fiat currency going into these developing countries where they're already heavily involved, they have unstable currencies, it's very easy to get those countries to adopt the digital version of your own fiat currency. Hey, something we wanted to ask you about, Sheila, is we heard from Fed Chief Jay Powell earlier, and he said workers, small businesses, they still need continued support. You have been very vocal about wealth inequality and the need for many U.S. families to build financial security. Um, what do we need to make sure with this latest COVID relief package? Right. Well, I, I think it's, uh, it's right to focus on uh, household payments. And uh, people of goodwill can say we owe fifty thousand, seventy-five thousand, uh, but I, I think they need to be sizable payments. And uh, that need, you know, that using fiscal policy, we can get the money directly into into household budgets where it can be saved, it can be used to pay down debt, or it can be used to spend. Any of those are good uses uh, of money. Um, you know, the, the the wealth inequality since the Great Financial Crisis really has gotten much much worse. Uh, low middle income uh, families um, have been saving more, but they're still their ability to build wealth has paled in comparison to the, the very top echelon of society, which has benefited so highly from uh, the monetary policy we were talking about earlier and in inflating financial assets. So they need more uh, financial security. So if the money's saved, that's a good thing too. If it gives them more financial security, they spend it. That helps the economy. Uh, so I, I think that should first and foremost be the top priority. Mm-hmm. Continued supplemental unemployment benefits, again, uh, direct household support is important. Um, I, I think the uh, uh, those are how I prioritize it. There's controversy around uh, help to state and local governments, but surely at least support directly tied to, to getting these vaccines out to the healthcare infrastructure that's really been strained by this pandemic. Right. I so, would also seem to me money well spent. So yesterday, right, we had major CEOs, Jamie Dimon, Doug McMillan, all at the White House talking to Joe Biden. And part of this discussion had inequality as part of it, right? You know, when you, right. with that in mind, with big corporations, Biden's challenge ahead of him, what's your advice to him on fixing this issue above and beyond the stimulus? Well, you know, I think uh, I think he needs to listen to regular people. <laughs> with all due respect to Wall Street, I think that's fine. He's going to meet with everybody, meets with them. 
But, uh, you know, Wall Street's really been disappointing. Wall Street's kind of retrenched uh, from uh, from lending to households. So they've been focusing more on, you know, their investment banking operations and their high wealth uh, customers. But uh, their loan uh, their loan uh, book for, for, you know, more retail consumer oriented lending has been contracting. Actually, the lending's been on the non-bank side. So that's that's disappointing. You know, maybe a banking system that would be more resilient and willing to, to lend and take some risk in, in times like this would be helpful. Well, Sheila, that's a really important point. And I think there's a lot of Americans, and I know our listeners often like respond to this, that they're listening and they're saying, listen, we helped out these big banks during the financial crisis. Why aren't they, you know, being a lot more open in terms of lending to those communities who didn't get a helping hand during the financial crisis? Well, it, that's the way it's supposed to work. We provide all. We provide deposit insurance. We provide the you know Federal Reserve liquidity backstop so that they can, in a downturn, step in. And it hasn't worked out this way. And it didn't work out that way during the Great Recession. There, both non-banks as well as regulated banks pulled back, which is why we had such a, a, a profound uh, economic downturn. So, uh, you know, I, I think we need to look uh, for different ways. It, we've discussed this before than debt to help households. Direct payments, I think, is good. People don't really need more debt, right? They, they need cash. So, right. so help them that way through fiscal policy. Shifting to fiscal policy away from monetary policy, which really helps the financial system, but it just doesn't trickle down right. to Main Street and the real economy. But, I think that's what the Biden people are doing now. And I think that's important. But even on the debt side, if you look at the next PPP program, a lot of reports out there about how difficult it is out there to get through this time yeah. where yeah. is the banking system what's the next shoe to drop here to bring yeah. them into the places well, that need it? Yeah. it it's disappointing i think the community banks the community development financial institutions have really the money we want the money to prioritize that to the very small the most vulnerable uh, small businesses and so it's, it was unfortunate when that was first rolled out and look i, I cut congress in slack we had to get something out fast in March. But what, what happened was you used the banks to provide the loans. And what they ended up doing was, was calling their best customers, which was which the bigger businesses. And it may, mm-hmm. may or may not do the money, but, hey, you want a nice, forgivable loan. So that's kind of the first cut of how this uh, happened and why you had so you know large, large loans going to fairly significant-sized businesses. Revamping the program, prioritizing the smaller loans, uh, prioritizing, you know, letting letting the smaller lending institutions as well make sure they get further to the front of the line. Those are the kinds of reforms they've tried to to uh, institute. And I hope I hope I think my sense is it's working a little better this time. Um, you know, fraud has been a problem, too. Fraud's always a problem, especially when you get programs like this in place. It's unfortunate that, that there are, you know, scamsters out there that try to, try to take advantage of funds that are going to people in need or should be going to people in need. But that said, to put so much bureaucracy around, you know, batting down that risk of fraud, creating a lot of bureaucracy that people who really need it, it will discourage them from even uh, applying. And, and you're seeing a bit of that right now, too. But how do we ultimately create you know, financial security, you know, we, we keep talking about this K-shaped recovery. Here we have, you right. know, the Dow at another, or the, you know, the markets again at another record, and yet we also have millions out of work, and we have, ch- you know, children in poverty more than we've ever yeah. seen before. So how do we ultimately, Sheila, you know, but Jay Powell talked about sustainable, you know, prosperity and widespread prosper- prosperity for all. So how do you, from, you know, what you understand about the financial system and the banking system, how do we create that wealth equality, that financial security, that financial wealth for more Americans? 
so again, getting away, stop using monetary policy to drive the economy. Use fiscal policy. These household payments are good. I would support auto auto stabilizers. So when we get into a downturn, there's a trigger. You know, whether it's GDP, unemployment, or some combination, payments automatically go to households. So we don't have to sit around and wait for our, you know, very inefficient political system to to act. I think that would provide that protection in downturns automatically would be huge. And then, you know, we, we, we need job retraining, too. We, mm-hmm. we need, you're, you're seeing it now. Uh, the service sector, I think there are going to be permanent reductions in the service sector, in transportation, in hospitality. But there, there, are, there are new jobs being created as well as a result of this pandemic. So making sure we have, you know, practical, realistic, value-added right. job training opportunities that can help those employees transition uh, quickly is is also needs to be prioritized uh, we don't we we should demand more accountability for our, our education and job training dollars right we right. spend a lot on it and uh, don't always get the value we should it's a good point and i've got to say i love someone who does a twitter poll on your favorite super bowl snack and i just want to know was it guac and chips for you also <laughs> well we did both onion dip and guac <laughs> i would say the, the onion dip was gone before the game even started <laughs> i love it i love yeah, it Great stuff. Listen, Sheila, thank you so much. Thanks from uh, Shanali and myself, of course. Sheila Bayer, former head of the FDIC, uh, chair of Fannie Mae, and so much more. Great to get her voice. And our thanks to Shanali Balsik, Bloomberg News Wall Street reporter.